And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, well, welcome back into another episode of the Buffalo Beat, everyone. The Bills will be looking for a much better result this coming weekend than with the previous two games that we saw. Next up, a meeting with the New York Jets. Of course, everybody knows what is going on with the Jets right now, them being winless, having quite possibly the worst roster in the league combined with the worst coach in the league. Not really great stuff from a Jets perspective happening in 2020, but uh, the Bills get them in what seems like to be a, a pretty uh, at a pretty good time compared, uh, you know, thinking about that they just lost their last two games. But we'll discuss all of that later on in the episode. I think uh, I think what uh, we can look to in this coming week and even next week is what could happen in the not-so-distant future. I mean, the trade deadline is obviously November November 3rd, and when you look at things, the Bills seem like they would be in a position to add. And there's a lot of different elements that, that go into it, that being things they could trade from, from their perspective, uh, the level of player that they could welcome in, the uh, the types of players that that they would want, how much salary they could bring on. There's there's just so many different stuff, and it was also a, a busy week as well with uh, you know the Bills releasing a former starter in Quentin Spain. So Matthew Fairburn joins me as my podcast partner as always, and Matthew. I mean, where do we lead off with with all of that? I, I guess maybe we should start with Spain, just because that was the most like. It just kind of caught everybody off guard that it was just a flat release and that they didn't even trade the guy. Yeah, it's uh, it's not really the type of move that that inspires a lot of um, confidence. You know, a, a subtraction before the trading deadline. Weird timing. Uh, sounds like it was in the works for a while. Um, just because as soon as Quentin Spain was benched, as soon as he fell out of favor, he became a bit disgruntled. Um, that's probably somewhat fair, um, but also not necessarily the the response they want, right? You know, they, they want a guy that yeah. is willing to compete, but you also don't want a guy that's just, like, happy to be benched either. So there's a, a fine line there. He was clearly not happy with his role. The Bills didn't seem to have too many plans on changing it. What I found weird about it was that it, the situation got so out of control that he needed to be released right after Cody Ford got hurt at that same spot. Right. You know, he, right. you need him. Um, and he probably saw that on, you know, after Monday night. But clearly this was something that, you know, the way Brandon Bean put it was in the works for a while. And, you know, the decision had kind of been made at that point, which just feels like the, the relationship became um, 
something that they couldn't work out, which is unfortunate because they could probably use him this week. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah. perhaps beyond if Cody Ford isn't quite right. I know John Feliciano should be back potentially as soon as this week, if not, you know, maybe next week. But that doesn't really solve their problem um, with Cody Ford being injured. And I don't know. It's one of those kind of miscalculations of what they had in Quentin Spain to, to pay that money for him and to, you know, you know, re-up his contract, even if it was, as we've mentioned before, a manageable deal in terms of they had an out after one year. Uh, there's not too much guaranteed mm-hmm. money on the books. You're still looking at, you know, five-ish million dollars, four to five million dollars that could have helped you right now um, at the trading deadline where they don't have a lot of money to work with. Um, you know, some of these deals, big deals that people have thrown out or big names that people are throwing out, there's a reason they don't have the money. Um, Quentin Spain is is one of those one of those players. And if you didn't have a vision for him, it's weird. He won this, the Iron Bills, you know, competition in the offseason for their offseason workouts. Uh, he entered camp seemingly in a good position, worked hard to, you know, be one of their best offseason workers, and they went out and got Brian Winters, um, who doesn't really play his position, but the domino effect of everything led to Quentin Spain being this odd man out. It's just that they were right. they had a quick, you know, reaction um, and, and didn't give him too much of a chance early in this season, Quentin Spain, that is. For a guy that they had just committed to, committed a decent amount of money to, not a unmanageable amount of money, but a decent amount of money to. And, you know, when you combine that with the money they committed to Trent Murphy um, before benching him, that's, it's, you know, some wasted funds that could have been used oh, yeah. at the trading deadline. You know, a deal like Yannick Ngakwe, like not saying they needed to make that deal, but. They, did, they weren't even really in a position to do it because of all the money they have tied up in some of these guys. Mm-hmm. So I just think it was, it's less about, I, I, Quentin Spain probably wasn't a very tradable asset because of the contract. I, I imagine he'll get picked up um, relatively soon, but he wasn't tra- super tradable because of his contract. And, you know, that. so that means in order to evaluate this, you have to go back to March when they, they re-signed him, and I just think it was a little, um, you know, clearly a miscalculation, and you know, not not the only one they've had. Yeah, certainly. I think the Spain one, it was somewhat predictable when they re-signed him because when when you sign him to that deal, you're thinking in your head, well, when you saw the the terms of the contract and the fact that the signing bonus was so low the immediate thought was, okay, this is going to turn into a one-year deal because odds are they're going to come to their senses about Cody Ford and slide him inside because that is clearly where he fits the best and uh, what he's done before the injury has shown that he is clearly more comfortable on the inside. And they wanted to commit to that when they got to the season and they found out that Daryl Williams could still play. I think that that was a big part of the uh, equation as well to finally push Cody Ford on the inside. And then they also thought to themselves, okay, well, Feliciano's coming back and we'd love him at right guard. So why not throw Cody Ford at left guard right now, 
have it be a long-term solution with him and Deion Dawkins over there. And then once Feliciano is back, the runway is clear for him to return and get there um, and, and play in place of Brian Winters, who's really struggling right now. So that was their pie in the sky. But you're right. It goes back to the whole position of signing him to that deal um, back when they did. And it seemed fine at the time. I mean, it's average guard level money, but you also don't just want to light that money on fire like they did. Now, they, they couldn't have known that by benching him that he was going to get so upset that uh, that the relationship would just sour like that. But when you make those risks and you already have in-house candidates to potentially take over for that i suppose they didn't have winters and they weren't all the way committed on ford but um, the weird thing so is they were though, just like, protecting themselves you know since <clears throat> since feliciano signed the guard situation has gotten worse than it was then i think they have winters but feliciano spain, got hurt not feliciano. Yeah, well, since they signed spain yeah. um their their situation in house got worse because yeah they have winters but they got rid of or or Feliciano got hurt. Cody Ford got hurt. Uh, they got rid of Evan Bame. You know, they they got, you know, thinner there. And, yeah, f- you know, some of these guys will come back from injury and, and things like that. But I think it's a it, – it's not a monumental error, but when you look at it combined with a few others and how it impacts what they can do right now, it, you know, it adds up. And I, I think it comes, too, from – not necessarily be having conviction with how they evaluated Cody Ford and, mm-hmm. you know, where they thought that situation would lead uh, because it, it didn't seem like they had a tremendous amount of conviction on Quentin Spain either. Um, they waited a right. while to re-sign him. And, yeah, I think that it, I guess it was an out for if Cody Ford wasn't very good at guard uh, or if Daryl... Williams wasn't very good at right tackle, but I don't know. I, I I think they've they've gotten to the point where they're not in a position or not in as much of a position to throw a ton of resources at the wall and see what sticks the way they were mm-hmm. the last couple of years. You look at they need to be a lot more calculated. Yeah, with you that need stuff to be now. a little bit more accurate uh, instead of which it's not a criticism of how they did things before because they had the money and the resources to say you know what we'll sign eight offensive linemen and, or, you know, add eight offensive linemen in the draft and free agency and let the cream rise to the top. And you still want to have depth there, but you also have to manage your resources. And kind of the same thing goes on the defensive line too, right? You need to uh, be a little bit more calculated in how you spread things out and leave yourself some wiggle room. And it, they didn't really do that on the offensive line. The offensive line hasn't really been a problem, but... I think the fact that they got to a point where, you know, if it was about having depth on the offensive line, this situation wouldn't have gotten to this point where you cut a guy Mm -hmm. when you probably need him most, um, you know, with Cody Ford being banged up. So, yeah, it's a it's I also go ahead. I was I was also going to say I also think that their hand was kind of forced here because from what um, Ryan Talbot of NewYorkUpstate.com reported that uh, another team was about to sign Justin Zimmer off their practice squad and they needed a spot and quickly and the only spot that they had 
right there, logically, what in their brains was, okay, well, just got to do it with Quentin Spain because I'm sure they probably tried to deal him. That that happened, and it came at a, a terrible time. Um, but if it had soured the way that it did over the, the previous two weeks, and, and both parties are responsible for that, I'm sure, um, then they probably never even thought of him as a potential solution for Cody Ford in in the first place. And I guess that's the the relationship management a- aspect to it. I guess it's also the um, the idea that that uh, he was expendable at that point, but then it all goes back to the same discussion that we had like uh, if if he was at some point going to be expendable, then why sign him in the first place? Yeah, I think that's the big the big piece of this is that, you know, okay, Justin Zimmer is going to get signed to the 53-man roster. If Quentin Spain is, I mean, I think even with everything going on this week, if the situation is somewhat, you know, manageable, you probably find some some other way to make room for Justin Zimmer. Um, but instead, true, it was one of those where it's like, well, this situation isn't going away. This guy's not happy, and we need a roster spot. So, you know, we haven't been able to trade this guy. We'll just move on. Um, mm-hmm. If he's happy in his depth role, I don't know that you're cutting him this week just no, to make room certainly for Justin not. Zimmer. You're probably cutting somebody else. So it's like, you know, it, it was a timing thing where it was like, well, we need Justin, you know, we want Justin Zimmer to hang around. And, you know, this guy's not going to get any happier. Um, Clearly, because if Quentin Spain still wanted out, even though his spot was there waiting for him, then, you know, the the writing was on the wall. But it is it, it's an unfortunate deal for Spain in a lot of ways, because I think a lot of this simply has to do with Cody Ford. Um, they've kind of moved a lot of things around over the last few years because of Cody Ford. And mm-hmm. Spain is sort of the latest casualty of that. Um you know, last year, perhaps if you're, you know, I, I think if Ty Inseki's 100% healthy and you're being 100% honest with yourself, he's probably getting most of those reps. Um, as opposed, I don't think it's ever ideal to have guys splitting reps 50 50 on the offensive line. Um, no, certainly not. And then you're and Sean of, McDermott was very adamantly against that um, when we talked to him in training camp. Right, heading into this year, he did not want yeah. to do that again. Right, and so then right. you're kind of, it's like you needed that Cody Ford domino to fall before you figured out everything else on the offensive line, which isn't entirely fair to the rest of the group. Although it's understandable because Cody Ford's a second round pick, and that's just how NFL teams operate. They're gonna cater to their high draft picks um, until they they clearly can't anymore. Right, you know, yeah. and and I think that's what's happening a little bit with Ford. Um, Ford has not been their best offensive lineman. Uh, he hasn't been terrible, but... Yeah, he's the, he's improved dramatically. He's getting better. He's getting better. The, the Chiefs game was not good, but the, the games before the Chiefs game, I thought he was, he was at an average to slightly above average level, which they'll take from what he was last year uh it's it's a definitive upgrade from what he was and it's because he's at his his natural position it's where he should be in the nfl and i think if quentin spain's a mid-round pick um you know there's a much different conversation but because he was a throwaway free agent signing that hit last year 
you know, they're, they're not as invested in keeping him around long-term, even though I think he's still got something left in the tank. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he didn't get off to a great start this year, but, you know, uh, there was a lot of conversation about how offensive linemen would would take a little bit to get settled in uh, with everything that happened this summer and the, the lack of preseason games and short training camp. I think it was somewhat fair to expect, um, you know, some some up and down play uh, up there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's I don't think it's something that dramatically changes the long-term outlook of this team because I think Quentin Spain was a one-year uh, type of contract anyways but yeah they're like going to clear said, that room for next year's salary cap regardless in the very short term it's one of those where it's like well you know this guy clearly wasn't ready to buy into the the depth role and you know he wasn't going to be a spot starter this week and you know he, he had kind of he wasn't bought in anymore and mm-hmm. you know to some extent that's a quentin spain problem and to what extent it's a Bills problem, I guess, remains to be seen. Because right now, this seems like an isolated incident. But they just benched two other high-profile players last week. So um, you get to a point where you have all this depth and competition, which is great. But guys also need to understand their roles on the team and not have that you know, pulled out from underneath them uh, at various times for... Um, reasons that sometimes are in their control and sometimes aren't and you know there's a balancing act of keeping guys happy while keeping them motivated all that and it gets more complicated when you have more uh, nfl caliber players on the roster like they have the last couple of years there's more competition more jobs lost more feelings hurt and i don't know we'll see how it shakes out along the defensive line because Feelings probably needed to be hurt uh, to get what you want out of that group. They're paying them mm-hmm. so much money and getting so little out of them that, you know, making moves certainly was warranted in some ways. Uh, but I don't know, to me, that just the more I've thought about those moves, the less they make sense, um, what they did on Monday night. Um, you know, the forecast called for rain and you're taking out two of your best run defenders um kind of inviting them i guess it was less about you know reducing harrison phillips and trent murphy's snaps as it was outright scratching them for brian cox and justin zimmer i think justin zimmer played well um i guess the the trent murphy one is a bigger deal than the harrison phillips one because we may i would be, agree we may be trending towards harrison phillips being the type of player who you only play in certain game plans, right? I don't know. Well, like, yes, he's still he's still working his way back from an ACL injury, and you know he's not quite himself. But you wonder if uh, it will be a situation where his long term outlook in the league is as that type of player. Trent Murphy. I mean, y- you could have saved a lot of money. Uh, first of all, by not having him on have. the roster. And if if he's not, you know, the quote-unquote giving you the best chance to win, if Brian Cox Jr. is giving you more of a chance to win against the Chiefs, A, I disagree, and B, if that's the case, if that's how you feel in the most important game of the season, then 
there's really no reason to have him on the roster. And that's just mm-hmm. a miscalculation or miscommunication or something. I understood the logic of keeping Trent Murphy around. I did not understand the logic when you take him out of the Chiefs game and then try to brush off the question of why is he on the team if you know he's not giving you the best chance to win in one of your most important games, arguably your most important game. Yeah. And Sean McDermott said, you know, he gets paid to make those decisions, so he'll just he'll be making them, which is fine. But I don't think Trent Murphy has been I think the problem I have with the the moves is after the first half, when you're getting gashed on the ground, you don't have the option of saying, All right, now let's get Trent back in there. Let's get him some more snaps and try to stop the bleeding. Um and I don't think Trent Murphy is a guy that like you know what he is you know who he is as a player and he's not the type of guy that needs like a kick in the pants and that's not how he was playing through the first six games of the season that was his problem i don't think was effort his problem wasn't that he needed a wake-up call if he needed a wake-up call he got it with mario addison right like um Mm -hmm. it's a weird it, it was a strategy thing more than anything else and it i think it backfired because you had nobody to turn to is brian cox jr or aj epinesa for that matter that much of a better pass rusher than trent murphy i don't know like probably not and they're certainly not better run defenders certainly not uh brian cox jr and aj epinesa at this stage in his career is still figuring it out so what was the motivation for benching trent murphy like do you think it's going to I think that that's a guy that is a, a try-hard player, an effort player, and a a guy who makes a lot happen because of that. You know, he's a guy that's focused on details, all those things. You can question his upside um, and, and ability as a pass rusher for sure, but that's not really an effort problem. So you're not – are you trying to wake this guy up? What are you doing? Like, I think there should be a lot of confusion uh, in that room o- over that decision, and I wouldn't be – I wouldn't blame, you know, Harrison Phillips or Trent Murphy if they're a little, you know, confused or um, put off by by the whole deal because I just it clearly backfired. It clearly didn't work. And I just think it's not as if you were like, all right, we're going to, you know, scratch Trent Murphy and dress an extra linebacker or an extra defensive back or an extra guy on offense that is going to get a little more run and we've got some gadget plays in store for it It was like no we're going to replace him with another defensive end who's not as good um certainly not as good against the run maybe brian cox jr has a little bit more pop as a pass rusher but i don't know when you combine it too with the decision to keep him it's just um it's a confusing one well i think these two um conversations are good ones and i think it's an important segue into what the Bills have upcoming, and that would be the trade deadline. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, let's pick up the Harrison Phillips point because I think he and and Murphy kind of go hand in hand with with what they did. Um, and I absolutely hear everything you're saying about the logic not adding up and and I agree with you that the logic doesn't add up especially when you know you're you're doing it for a player like Brian Cox Jr. And still keeping someone like AJ Epinesa out there, who is clearly in over his head at at this point, um, out on the field, it doesn't look like the second round pick that they drafted. Um, it looks very thin compared to what he looked at Iowa. Um, however, I think this could be a sign that they're trying to move both Trent Murphy and Harrison Phillips. Phillips is just about getting to the Zay Jones point, right? And there's a lot of interesting parallels uh, between what Zay Jones went through and what Harrison Phillips has gone through. Now, the key difference here is that Harrison Phillips tore his ACL last year. Uh, and you have to wonder if maybe the light will go on eventually for him when when he starts to get a little bit more comfortable with, with his knees. But the big point about Harrison Phillips is that even before the injury, they did not view him as a good run defender. And I think when when they're going against the Chiefs and the Chiefs are just gashing them against the run, you know, I don't know that they necessarily thought they would have gotten a huge improvement in defending the run from Harrison Phillips, which probably says a lot about about him and what what they view him to be. And I just think back to the Zay Jones thing. And and so I went back and, and I looked because Zay Jones, you know, they were they were so positive about him for so long, right? Like they they went through and they they kept giving him opportunities in his first two seasons. And then, then his third season came along. He continued to be in the starting lineup with John Brown and Cole Beasley. And then all of a sudden, from week four to week five, week four, he played 62 snaps. Week five, I believe that was against the Patriots. Week five, it was against the Titans. They called up Duke Williams from the practice squad. Zay Jones took one offensive snap. Two days later, he was traded from the roster. They they made the determination from the first month of the season that they just didn't see it. They wanted to cut their losses. They wanted to get something while he still had value remaining. I wonder, with Phillips, because he does have a vast injury history, and to, the, to a certain degree, so does Trent Murphy, but we'll get to Murphy in a, in a bit in a minute but you look at Phillips situation same sort of deal like he's shown flashes here or there as a pass rusher but they're not they don't believe him to be a pass rusher in their system they want him to be a one technique defensive tackle and and he's not a good enough pass rusher to play three technique he's not explosive enough to do it and if you're not securing the run in the middle of the defense and you're getting pushed around like he has been then in their minds they're like okay well we're they could be out on this guy. And so I wonder if they are not playing Phillips after going from such a big role or such a big rotational role to nothing. 
I wonder if they're looking at him and trying to gauge the market and see what's out there. Maybe try and flip him for a late round pick and just cut their losses that way because they do have a glut of defensive linemen right now. Like something has to bend with that because you cannot have 10 defensive linemen on your roster when you are so thin at cornerback, when you are thin potentially at tight end. Um, you know, there's just, it doesn't leave you a lot of wiggle room in a lot of different areas. And so I think, I just wonder if maybe, and, and if these two guys are scratched again this week, then I think that's absolutely a, a potential reason for why they are scratched. You know, just so happened to be two, three, two, one games before the, the trade deadline. And Murphy is someone that they, they probably want to try and salvage as well. Um, just because they probably shouldn't have kept him on and because he's not giving them the pass rushing effort that they want. He's a solid run defender. We all know that. He's, his salary coming in was not worth it if he wasn't going to be rushing the passer. Like, you need you need more juice off the edge. I mean, consistent, yes. Solid player, average player, fine. All these good things. If he was making $4 million as opposed to $9 million, sign me up. Um, but... That's just, it's just not the case with Murphy. He's never been that pass rusher. He's never become that guy for them. And I wonder because now there's two things working with Murphy's contract. One is the likely to be earned incentives of the per game active bonus, which I believe is a little, is about 32,000 per game that he's inactive that they could save against the cap. And if they were to trade him and if he was healthy enough for them to trade him, then uh, then they would be able to clear an additional around four, maybe a little bit under four, depending on when they traded him for his remaining prorated um, base salary. This is not a Quentin Spain situation where they can just cut Trent Murphy and and recoup those, uh, those base salary because they kept him on through week one and he can file for a one-time only termination pay to which the Bills would have to pay him the remainder of his... Uh, base salary and it would still account on their salary cap figure so they need to they're I would assume because both of these guys have an injury history that this was part lineup but also part okay protecting ourselves in the event that we want to move either of these guys I think a lot of logic points to that way yeah they have a problem where they have so many defensive linemen on the roster they have more money tied up in that position than any team in the league. And it also is arguably their biggest need heading into the trading deadline. Yeah, That's like it's the, crazy. It's the worst possible um, combination of things. Like they have invested fifty million in their salary cap this year. They have a third round pick in 2018 in Harrison Phillips, a first round pick in the top 10 in Ed Oliver in 2019, a second round pick in 2020, their first of the draft, AJ Epinesa. Those should be cheap assets that are helping your team in the top three rounds. And they're really not. Um, Add to that the money they've paid Jerry Hughes, who's been good, um, probably the best of anybody. The Mario Addison money is significant, but I think he's playing okay. 
Probably yeah, not. I, those no. two guys are, are fine for me. Hughes had Hughes did not have a good game against Kansas City, but every game before that, he he's been he's been good for them. Um, Addison has been fine too. But he's yeah, been you're fine, but right. he makes a lot of money. Uh, yeah, and he's old. Like how I don't know how much longer he's not playing out of this world. He's playing well. Um, and yeah. he's been better you, than than Murphy by a lot. I think. Then you've got Trent Murphy not even playing at this point. Uh, Vernon Butler uh, and Quentin Jefferson who have been average and they make quite a bit of money as well not a disgusting amount of money but a significant amount of money and Mm -hmm. to get nothing out of essentially almost that entire group with all those resources that i just mentioned that's really bad um this is a team that hasn't been able to regenerate the defensive line talent that it let walk out the door uh, in a lot of cases um I mean, Marcel Darius isn't even in the league anymore, but he was the start um, of shipping him out. They needed to get that contract off the books. Kyle Williams retired. Uh, Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips walked this offseason. And while they made good money on their contracts, and it's probably the smart move to let them walk, you can't do it if you're not able to replace them, right? You know, you can't just... uh, When you do make those decisions... You have to be able to replace guys and replace the talent. And they're getting close to having to do that on other spots of the defense um, where you need your drafted players, your cheap talent, uh, to step up and make plays. You look at the money they invested in um, even guys like A.J. Klein and, and Tyler Matikiewicz. Like, to me, yeah, like Matikiewicz has been fine on special teams. I, I don't have any reason to say otherwise. But that's a good amount of money to pay a guy that can only do that. When you're having such linebacker problems as they have this year, you would think he'd be a guy that could help you out with the salary he's making. Uh, And he's just a special teams guy, so he's not really doing that. And A.J. Klein, we've covered, you know, plenty. He's not bringing a whole lot to the table. Um, You know, there's a revolving door at the number two cornerback spot. Josh Norman hasn't been great and he's hurt again. Um, at what point are you going to have to replace these safeties? Um, not tomorrow, but not, you know, five years from now either. So when talent leaves, you need to backfill with, with either some cheap free agents that you hit on or some draft picks that work out. And there's a legitimate question about almost all of their, uh, draft picks on defense over the last few years about whether the, the, they will be those players that can, you know, make that difference. Um, is Tremaine Edmonds going to be a difference maker for you? Maybe not uh, the way he's been playing. Ed Oliver remains to be seen. AJ Epinesa mm-hmm. very much remains to be seen. Taron Johnson, I would say that's a no. Um, you know, since Tredavious White, uh, well, we, we just talked about Harrison Phillips, too, another top three-round pick. Um, arguably, uh, like in terms of value um, and what he's the way he's playing, Saran Neal, I think, is a hit. Um, you know, a guy that probably he's given you what you hope in that mid, mid-round pick. Um, a lot of these other guys aren't really giving you what you want uh, based on the investment, and that could end up being a problem. Um, I think that's... All this stuff we talk about is part of why when people say, what's wrong with the defense? That's what's wrong. You know, a lot of these guys just aren't playing well. Yeah, I think um, a couple of things kind of um, 
triggered my brain there um, based on what they're looking at. And, you know, just to kind of wrap the, the Murphy situation, I know a lot of people are probably sitting there thinking, okay, why did they, they keep this guy in the first place? What was the deal there? Well, I think Murphy was fortunate for a couple of different reasons. For one, Star Latulale opted out, which opened up another spot on the defensive line for them to potentially keep. So that that was working in his favor. The second thing that worked in his favor is the fact that A.J. Epinesa just did, it didn't look like he could play in, in the summer. And um, they were... They were probably very nervous about him being their third defensive end, and so they wanted to keep Trent Murphy around. And knowing that they had a, a short build-up to the regular season, it probably influenced their decision even further. However, um, wanted to get to the Ed Oliver thing because he's he's someone that has come under fire, um, and you know the fact that he's not making flash plays in the backfield is concerning. Um, Though when I did go back and I, I watched the film uh, for, the, for the Chiefs game, the one thing I noticed flat out was first snap, Ed Oliver was not where he usually always is. He was lining up at one tack, so I'm like, huh, that's peculiar. Like, they, they switch them occasionally, but not, not to a grand degree. Usually it's always Oliver at three technique, and then, you know, last year it was Latulale at one tack, Phillips at one tack, all of these different things. So I went and I thought to myself, okay, well, I'll, I'll keep note of this. And then I kept looking and it kept happening again and again and again. So then I went back and I, and I charted every single defensive snap. And so for every time that the Bills were in their, their basic setup and it wasn't a pass rushing down um, where they had a three-tech and a one-tech, Ed Oliver basically, he, he had a few snaps with Mario Addison, uh, but he basically only played with Quentin Jefferson and Ed Oliver, out of his 34 snaps in those uh, in those very um, uh, uh, usual setups for the Bills' defensive line, he played one technique 23 out of 34 snaps. And that's doing him a disservice a little bit because that's not his game. They're doing that out of self-preservation because they don't have a good one-technique defensive tackle on the roster. Against Kansas City, they dressed four three prototypical three technique defensive tackles with Butler, Jefferson, Zimmer, and Oliver. And they needed two of those guys to play one tech. And what we ended up seeing was them doing a lot of switching. I mean, Quentin Jefferson is a complete mess when he's at one tech. Uh, the Chiefs averaged over 10 yards a carry when he was at one tech. Uh, and it was just, it was, it was an absolute train wreck. Um, so to mitigate that, they put Oliver there because they like those two together when the other option is Zimmer and Butler when that was actually working when Zimmer was lining up at, at one technique for them. So I will go to bat for Ed Oliver a little bit here because on those reps where he he played three tech, he he looked like the player that they they want him to be. But when you're lining him up in, in a spot because you can't do it with Quentin Jefferson and you have all and you you're depending on him to occupy occupy blockers even though he's a smaller guy. And to and to be able to hold his the point at the line of scrimmage, then you're you're not really setting him up for success, which is why to me, and this brings us all the way back to the trade deadline, which is why to me that without question, the number one need for them right now, if they can find a good rental to do it, is a one technique defensive tackle. And the guy that I, I kind of landed on was Dalvin Tomlinson of the Giants. 
I think he's a really good player. Could probably get him for a mid-round pick. He's on an expiring contract. He's on a cheap contract to where it wouldn't hit their salary cap too much because they only have about $4 million in, in cap space right now. And, and certainly there's the relationship with Gettleman. He would fit right into their defense. All of these different things. So that's the guy that, I, that I've landed on that they should have. So that way they could slot, they could slot him in at one technique, move Ed Oliver back to full-time three-technique defensive tackle where he belongs, get Quentin Jefferson into that hybrid defensive tackle defensive end role, which is part of the reason why uh, they kept Murphy in the first place because Jefferson wasn't able to play in that hybrid defensive end defensive tackle role because Latulale opted out. So it's just been like this domino effect where all of these different things happen and all of these different decisions influence them to the point where they've gotten to right now where they don't have a solid enough one technique on their roster to dress on game day. It's just, it's, it's, it's a mess up front from that perspective right now. Yeah. It's causing a lot of other things to fall apart as a result because the domino effect creates issues all over the defense and it's probably not helping Tremaine Edmonds's cause. Um, and it's certainly not helping these other defensive linemen that have to get moved around. And mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of just stunning. The, uh, amount of and I get that to some extent you know star opting out was unexpected they were thinking they would have him um, for another year they were or two. thinking they would have him when they when they signed Quentin Jefferson they did not expect Jefferson to be a full-time defensive tackle I don't think no the Vernon Butler piece like I feel like he should be able to play there and give them something um, you know particularly at the salary he's making but also they could have you know, invested a draft pick. Um, but now you're in a spot where, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson, I, I think would be the most logical, uh, of mm-hmm. trade targets. He's playing really well, uh, this mm-hmm. season and, you know, he's in the final year of his contract. The giants should be sellers. They're but, one in six. I mean, right. I mean, <laughs> but in that division, they're not that far out of it. Um, uh, that's true. It's a weird division this year. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll so say. they, if they, winning last night would have kept them in it uh, a lot more. But it is a strange division. Um, but then you're talking about another resource poured into that defensive line that they need it now. So it's hard to argue. But it's like, man, another mid round draft pick that won't be used next year. And if they can't bring, you know, they don't want to sign Dalvin Tomlinson back because he has a great year or whatever i don't know it's just that it's this vicious cycle of pouring resources into a defensive line and there's a lot of swings and misses on what they've done uh so far on the defensive line over the last few years so they better hope the next time they get it right Mm -hmm. no doubt um so yes there's there's a lengthy list of things that, that they could do here um and and by the way butler he did play some one technique but um, this is actually a fascinating stat from that game. When they had Justin Zimmer and Vernon Butler uh, in against the Chiefs, and Zimmer was at one tech and Vernon Butler was at three, uh, the Chiefs rushed against that combination 10 times. They only gained 16 yards, 1.6 yards per carry. It's like, that. that's one of those stats where you're like, wait, really? That, that actually happened? It did. And so that's why I think Zimmer's got to be in the lineup from from this point forward and uh until he he shows like that that he can't play but he he was great he was he was the best player on the field for the bills which is kind of shocking because he was a he was a practice squad guy um and a late 
practice and a late uh, fill in at training camp too, um, right right before things geared up there. So so yeah, they they've got they've got some things to that they need to concentrate on. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's quickly get into this Jets game because, when I mean, we don't need a lot of analysis with it, so we, we could just get straight to the pick. But the Jets are horrible. There's really no other way to describe it. I know a lot of people are saying, well, the Dolphins were winless last year and, and they played the Bills tough. The major difference between the Dolphins and the Jets is, because, is that the Dolphins head coach wasn't Adam Gase and... The Dolphins knew that that they needed to perform for their first year head coach, and they it really looked like they had something going. They, and it looked like they on film leading up to the Bills game that they played a, a couple of teams close before that game, and and it really looked like they were they were ready to to kind of be a little bit more dangerous than than they had been in the early part of the season. The Jets, they look horrific. On both sides of the ball, they look uninspired. Uh, it just all of these, and and it looks like they're just trying to play out the string for a lame duck head coach. And you know they they lack talent in a lot of different areas. They're they're shipping talent out. They just they just traded away their um, their top run stuffer right now, and Steve McClendon. He's now with the Buccaneers, and in the most hilarious story because. Um, the Jets played down in Miami last week. He didn't even bother flying back to Jersey. He just uh, got a rental car and drove to Tampa Bay for Miami because he wanted to be done with it. <laughs> that's that's like such a such an incredible story to to kind of encapsulate what the Jets are going through right now. So when when you look at this matchup, the Jets are not like the Dolphins, and the Bills are banged up right now. But I don't think it matters, and, uh, and and yeah, and I'll just get straight to the pick. Uh, you know, the Bills uh, they're favored by twelve and a half. Um, 
I've got the Bills in a landslide here. I'm taking them 34-10, and I think the offense is going to get back on track. I think defensively, the the interior defensive line is going to get back on track and get in the backfield because the Jets' interior line stinks, um, and and I think it's going to be a a big day against the the Jets' zone zone uh, defense and. They might not even have their best offensive player in Jamison Crowder, who who injured his groin and and couldn't practice on Thursday. So, yeah, not not a lot of uh, great things for the Jets. Who do you got? Yeah, I think the Bills win this game. I think if they don't win this game, there's going to be some problems. An uproar. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's not really a a must win game in a mathematical sense by any means, but um, to kind of stop the 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 bleeding of the last couple of weeks. This, this game couldn't come at a better time. I mean, yeah. it, to your point, this isn't a team that is necessarily as scrappy as the Dolphins were in the first year um, with Brian Flores really trying to get that thing off the ground. Uh, this is a team with a coach who's very much on his way out, and they'd probably be more dangerous if they had fired Adam Gase you know, last week or the week before. Um, totally right you know and they'd have a, a bit more um wind in their sails i it almost feels like they're waiting <laughs> for him to be fired um yep. sam darnold looks like he'll be back so that's a thing but sam darnold isn't very good uh denzel mims might be back looks like they'll have some firepower at receiver but possibly not jameson crowder would it shock me crowder if they is everything his... to darnold he is. He he's his security blanket for sure. Mims has yeah. been, you know, a guy that they thought would do a lot as a rookie and has been he hurt both hamstrings at, at various points this summer. So yeah, not there's not a, there's just not a lot of bright spots on the Jets. And so it's a a game that it's weird because you feel like you won't learn much if the Bills win, um, even if they win handily. Um and if they lose, you know it's lose lose. You don't learn much if they win and if they lose it's They've lost to the Jets and handed them their first first win of the season. Now, the last time they were this big of road favorites, they did lose. But that was in like the early 90s, so it was a long time ago. But this is like a, a historic point spread for the Bills um, to be this big of favorites on the road. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets cover the spread because weird stuff happens at the end of games. But I'm thinking a— Backdoor cover. A, yeah, absolutely. A, you know, that— that stuff happens all the time and it's hard mm-hmm. to to guess if Sam Darnold will, you know, be feeling it in garbage time to to rack up some yards, but I think the the Bills are pretty easy pick as a two touchdown win here. Yeah. All right. So, um I know we we talked about a lot was what was wrong with the Bills, but um I think I think uh both it of could us could be 5 and 2 by the end of yeah, the weekend. Two. It, Two the plus rest of the division win. stinks. Yeah, yeah. Like they, the Patriots really don't look good. good. The Dolphins just turned to a rookie quarterback. The Jets are a disaster. So <laughs> while the upside of the Bills can certainly be called into question after losses to the Titans and Chiefs, the division is right there. And you know they have a tough schedule, but probably might not need more than nine or ten wins to be right there to win the division at the end of the year. Uh, and mm-hmm. you know snag a playoff spot so once that happens who knows uh, it, they haven't inspired a lot of confidence over the last two weeks that they're a team that will be able to make a run in January but stranger things have happened in what is a strange NFL season and a lot of stuff is still sitting right in front of them not really necessarily through 
too much doing of their own. It's not a, it's just not a strong division, frankly. And um, there's going to be some, some wins to be had because of it, including this weekend. And I will say, if there was one positive takeaway from, from going back and watching the Chiefs film, it's that I didn't think Josh Allen was as bad as I initially thought. He actually looked like he was doing some next level things um, still. And it was just a lot of failing of the offensive line, particularly the guards up front and where he had to get the ball out of his hand quickly. Did miss some throws, but he does that every game. So, I mean, that's another source of optimism. And I think he's going to have a, him and the passing offense are going to have a really strong showing against this Jets team. And if they don't, <laughs> then then I guess people are going to be up in arms again. All right, that'll do it for us. Uh, if you want to check out anything that uh, Matthew Fairburn or I or myself have written uh, this week or in coming weeks or really ever, um, just go to the theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat right now for a special uh, subscriber, um, for a special decrease on our annual subscription rate. And again, that's theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat. You can find... Um, Matthew's uh, talk with GM Brandon Bean uh, and and about the Quentin Spain thing and and a little bit about the trade deadline upcoming and there, there's some there's some stuff there. He went back and and rewatched the game and had some thoughts from it. Um, I have my all 22 from the Chiefs game that uh, that takes a deep dive into Tremaine Edmonds and you know I got a little into the Ed Oliver stuff but that goes more in depth and Justin Zimmer all of that good stuff and and then uh, I have a pretty lengthy trade deadline piece that that uh, shows you some targets that um, the Bills could look to that fits their system and that would make sense from a from a, um, a salary cap perspective so find all of that right now just go to the athletic.com slash the Buffalo Bee all right Matthew Fairburn fond words anything I've got nothing. I just remember when you're watching this game that this is where this is the house that Matt Barkley built not too long ago. <laughs> uh, inspiring some great moments on the uh, on the podcast. So who knows? Maybe things will go so well that the Bills will throw Matt Barkley in there again at the end of the game. And it, we could have a new award um, after this game because. If Ike Butker gets the start at left guard, that's too good of a name to not have an award after. So, just saying. All right. That'll do it for us. For Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. And we will talk to you after the game on Sunday. See you then.